What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. I'm your co-host, Matt Weirich, alongside, as always, Blake Pace here. Late on Tuesday night, following a pretty scary past 24 hours for Blake, although you slept through most of it. (laughs) Blake, of course, being in Nashville, the site of the tornadoes that as of right now have killed 22. Blake, of course, uh, thankfully out of harm's way on a different side of town. His part wasn't hit too bad, but Blake, how are you holding up over there? Yeah, you know, we've been, um, it's been interesting. You know, I, it's such a different feeling. I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is, I grew up in a very small town, and so I think of numbers, I'm like, oh, if 22 people had passed away in my small hometown, it'd be a much different feel, where in a big city where everything's booming, you know, half of the city still has to go to work the next day, and so it was really weird just picking up things as normal after something like this happening, but... Um, you know, we're, we're hoping that, you know, things can turn around quickly. I know the company I work for, we're going to be doing some, um, some relief aid this weekend. We'll be, uh, picking up the debris and, and helping kind of the city get back together because yeah, um, not even just, you know, the 22 individuals that passed away, unfortunately, but there's countless buildings, businesses that have just been destroyed. So, um, it, it was a it was a tough day. It was a weird feeling, definitely, just going around and doing your your normal daily list of things. But um, like I said, fortunately, I have my health. Uh, my apartment stayed intact. Uh, like I said, yeah, like you mentioned, did did uh, fall asleep through it a little bit um, and kind of was in and out uh, through while it was happening. But uh, everything everything seems to be good on my end. That's good to hear, and I'm, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm glad you weren't. You know, at least. Uh, you weren't up and terrified or anything like that. So right. we were talking before the show, you woke up a couple of times and had to, you know, first time you didn't really realize it. Second time you're like, oh, this might be something important, but I'm glad right. that nothing hit your side of town. And um, did it hit any of the, the parts that you and I visited when I came down the, the Broadway area? Ooh, so Broadway didn't get hit too much. I'm trying to think if there were any spots that we had gone to. We really didn't go much toward East Nashville. Um, that was where mm-hmm. most of it hit East Nashville, this little area called Germantown. Um, kind of just wiped away a bunch there. But those were the big areas. I'm, I'm trying to think where we went. No, I think everything basically where we were stayed intact uh, pretty much. All right, well that's good because mm-hmm. that, that area is fun. Oh I yeah, like to see it it's uh, a area. torn to shreds Definitely. like that. So um, while you were uh, going through this uh, weekend, and I guess which ended with this tornado stuff, and a much less serious note, I uh, finally have a studio. I moved nice. into my apartment uh, over the weekend, and now have a place. I have not really had a home for the past couple of months, so. <laughs> I was able to fit my desk into my small bedroom at my house in Northern Virginia and hooked up my microphone with a little like arm that goes over my head now and uh, so the microphone kind of comes down at me and I've got a little studio here in the corner so I'm excited to be able to not be recorded from Madison's uh, (laughs) closet uh, moving forward uh, which smells like cat pee constantly so I can uh, I don't have internet yet as I was telling Blake before the show I 
do have not gotten that set up, the Verizon FiOS guy is coming tomorrow to get all of that nice. scored away. So I am internetless at the moment, but able to record, get on the phone with you, and, and talk some sports. I'm excited to get back on the show. I know mm-hmm. uh, our loyal listener Bennett Conlin was disappointed we didn't come <laughs> on last week. Uh, so we have to, Sorry, of Bennett. course, cater to our audience. Yeah, uh, it was a busy week, a lot, lot of stuff going on, but we're back, mm-hmm. uh, and we've got a lot of stuff on the docket today. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right in here. We're going to start with some baseball where the Yankees are not the talk of the offseason, despite the fact that they signed the largest free agent contract of the winter, bringing Garrett Cole to New York. Uh, Because of everything that's been going on in Houston and the big trade with Mookie Betts going from Boston to L.A., lots of things going on that have kind of left the Yankees behind. But one thing that kind of has just been understood about the team is, oh, yeah, even though we're not talking about them, they're going to win the AL East. You know, they're they're the team to beat over there. Uh, Well, they've been hit with some injuries. We've got... I don't actually have them in front of me, unfortunately, but Giancarlo Stanton, I believe, is a hamstring injury. He's going to be missing the start of the season that was announced, I believe it was today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron Judge is day-to-day right now with an ailment of his own. He is uh, up in the air as of right now for opening day. We, of course, Louis, have Luis Severino, who announced last week he was going to be undergoing Tommy John surgery. He'll be out for the entire season. A couple of months ago, the Yankees found out that James Paxton uh, will be missing the first few months of the season. Domingo Herman, one of, another starting pitcher, he is serving an 80-game suspension for domestic violence, going to be missing the first couple of months there as well. So, Overall, the Yankees already getting hit pretty hard with the injury bug, something that they endured for most of last season. Several big names, including several of the guys I just mentioned, dealt with injuries throughout the year, but they decide, went on a, a run anyway. Guys like Gio Urshela uh, really stepped up. Mike Talkman and became players who they could really rely on, made it actually a, a bit of a, an interesting dilemma that we talked about last year of who would play once all of their regulars returned because the guys who filled in played so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Yankees right now, going into the year, are already dealing with injuries again. It's looking like it's going to be another season where they're going to have to be wading through a, a, the losses of a few key guys. Blake, you're obviously a Yankees fan, so I understand you're biased a little Mm. bit here, but do you feel with 100% certainty that the Yankees are locked to win the AL East despite everything that we've just listed off? Yeah, well, first things first, I want to go to the Yankees fan side of me before before I switch over to taking a look at it. Like, This is the worst feeling to have after an entire season of just countless injuries, losing a number of the starters, a number of the pitching rotation, um, some guys in the bullpen as well too, although that stayed intact for most of the season, um, albeit Dylan Batantis, I think maybe made one appearance in 2019 before heading across town to go play with the Mets this year. Um, So for them to, you know, be what are we a month or so away from the beginning of the season now um very unfortunate that they're they're dealing with all these ailments again and to the same people you know Luis Severino is a huge injury to have for missing the entire season after barely playing last year uh Aaron Judge who was on and off and on and off and Stanton who I think played eight games in the regular season all of last year too so uh very frustrating for the Yankees fan side of it and now to to gear more toward your uh, question. Uh, no, I, I don't think they're locks. Um, and I know, you know, like we said, the Red Sox uh, have gotten worse. 
The Blue Jays are still developing. Um, I'm not sure if you have a wild theory on if they're ready to make the jump in in 2020 or not. Um, I know I'm that they've added decidedly. Some... No okay, good. That, okay, though. perfect. So <laughs> so we got that, and then we've got the Orioles as well too. But the the clear the clear team right here is the Tampa Bay Rays, and um, you know while they don't spend money, they are um, great at developing talent in house and acquiring maybe some cheaper guys on the end. Uh, they're bringing back a, a pretty good lineup next year. I mean, you take a look at their starting rotation, Charlie Morton, Blake Snell, Tyler Glasnow, Giannis Chirinos, and Ryan Yarbrough. That's five very quality players. Tyler Glasnow, halfway into the season or a couple months in, uh, he was looking like one of the one of the better arms in the American League. Um, and then, of course, was hit with the injury bug as well, too. I think at one point he was 10-1 and one to start the season. I, I know that because he mm-hmm. was on uh, our da- uh, my dynasty uh, baseball team in our league, Matt. Um, but um, So, obviously, the Rays present the biggest challenge. Now, I don't want to say that the Yankees are a lock, but I do still think that they have the advantage. Um, you take a look at what they're probably bringing out next year or this upcoming season. Um, as we wait for James Paxton to come back, and obviously when he returns, that'll be a big boost. You're looking at Garrett Cole. Thank God that the Yankees came out and uh, spent big on him this past offseason. Um, then you've got Masahiro Tanaka, who has been very reliable for the Yankees, at least for the last four or five so years. Probably their most reliable, consistent starter. They've got Jay Happ, um, and then they've got some younger guys. They've got Jordan Montgomery, who missed all of last season with Tommy John surgery. He had a very bright start to, I believe it was 2018, came on a little bit, um, and then had to miss all of last season. They've got some younger guys, prospects coming up as well, too. Debbie Garcia is the big name. He might be able to fill in as that fifth starter for a little bit. I'm not sure if they want to send him up to start the year uh, in the majors, but... All in all, I, I give the Yankees um, still still the odds to win the AL East uh, just because of the star power that they have there, even alongside some guys that are returning that didn't play last year. Um, you know, Miguel Andujar, who missed, uh, I think he got injured on the first day of the season and had surgery and missed the entire year. He'll be coming back, and he'll probably suit up in that DH role, but they've also been trying him out at outfield uh, because, like you were saying, guys that have come up, uh, like Gio Rochella, he he really owns that third base position, and Andujar wasn't great defensively. So they're looking at him in the outfield. You, like you said, the young outfielders and Mike Talkman, Clint Frazier. Um, of course, they've still got their stars in Gleyber Torres. Gary Sanchez, DJ LeMahieu, uh, Luke Voigt, if he can, uh, he, he went in a bit of a slump toward the end of last season. So I still give the Yankees the edge to win the division. I th- still think that if they can ride through kind of as they did last year with all these injuries and then get locked and loaded come postseason, I think they'll be just fine. But I can't say it's a lock because if, if these injuries continue, if some guys can't come back, I could very well see the Tampa Bay Rays making that jump. Yeah, I just don't feel like the Yankees have the look of being a 100-win behemoth who distanced themselves from the rest of the division early and then, you know, never has it be interesting. They don't actually play competitive baseball until October. You know, we saw that with the Yankees last year. We saw that with the Astros last year. We saw it with the Dodgers. And I really, right now, as the way things stand, I feel like the Dodgers are really the only team that is a lock to do that. I mean, the Astros still have plenty of talent, even though they lost Garrett Cole. But I feel like with this, you know, controversy that has just continued to unfurl over the past few months and continued to have ramifications on the players, I feel like it's going to take a mental toll 
where mm-hmm. you know we we just you lose a couple of games on the road, you hear the boos, and it, it starts to weigh on you. You know, uh, I do feel like that's going to be you know something that's just ongoing all season. So uh, I I can't justifiably say that the Astros are going to be a juggernaut team with the Yankees. I, I just have been skeptical that they've lacked the rotation depth to endure a season, uh, 162 game season, especially given some of the injury prone arms that they have. Getting Domingo Armand back mid season will now prove to be huge, especially. Especially considering mm-hmm. Paxton uh, will probably be returning around the same time, so that's going to be a bit of a shot in the arm for them. It's just going to be a question of can they remain competitive over the first two months of the year. I think you know with Tanaka, with Cole, uh, with you know possibly Jay ha- Happ returning to form. You know a couple of those young guys, Lois Saiga among them, uh, who might take a step forward. You know there's definitely some potential in mm-hmm. Montgomery as well. Definitely some potential there where you feel like you can tread water well enough to remain competitive uh, because, you know, even with Stanton and Judge out, that lineup is going to produce. I really don't mm-hmm. doubt that. It's it's the difference of being, you know, a world-beating lineup and being a very good lineup is having Judge and Stanton because the rest of the lineup is still very, very good. That offense is deep. You, you mentioned guys like Urshela and Clint Frazier. Aren't they glad they didn't trade him yes. because he might, <laughs> you know, prove to come in handy uh, early on in the year. So they've got some depth to absorb these injuries at least early on it's just a question of do they continue to pop up like they did last year or is this something that they're going to get over i i feel like they're going to get past it and they're going to be just fine mm-hmm. and they're still probably going to win the division but i do think the rays are a very capable ball club a club that could jump out to a fast start this year i think you know it's definitely contingent on their pitching continuing to pitch the way it did their bullpen was huge last year in terms of their success and bullpens tend to be very volatile from year to year so you're really counting a lot of those guys to come back and be just as effective as they were last year and that's definitely a question mark the charlie morton who is just continuing to surprise people after really you know every year nobody really counts him as an ace but he continues to pitch like one especially in october so uh, you know, if if he can pitch like that over the full course of a full season again, that's going to be huge for them. If Blake Snell can return to form, as you mentioned, Glasnow needs to stay healthy. There's definitely a lot of question marks with them too. So I wouldn't say that you know I'm picking the Rays mm-hmm. over the Yankees at this point. But I think if a lot of things go right for the Rays, you know, they were they'll be right there with the Yankees early on. And then it's just kind of a question of whether or not those injuries stick around for the course of the full year in New York. Right now, I want to say I think. You know, the Yankees right now, just taking a look at it, you expect these guys to come back. I would almost say that I understand it's not easy to win 100 games, but given all that they went through last year, they still pulled out 103 wins by the end of this season. But this this is my thing, though. Yes, they they did that, and they proved to have the depth, but, you know, if you start losing guys, like your Gio Urshelos and Mike Talkmans have already come up. And if you have to do that again, you're going to be testing your organizational depth even further. And that's where I feel like you might be getting in dangerous territory where, yes, the Yankees have done it before, but the fact that they might be trying to do it in back-to-back years might actually be a bit more of a warning flag than you think, Mm -hmm. just because you've already used up all that depth. You've gotten to the point where those guys who you didn't really expect to play have played. They did well, but now you've got the guys who are behind them in the organizational ladder who would be the next guys up and, Mm -hmm. you know, 
know, yes, they, they added some pieces, you know, some veterans on non-roster contracts over the offseason. There's still some players in the mix for sure. Uh, but that, that depth is just not where it was last year because, you know, so many of those guys have come up. Right. Those guys have come up as well, too. But I, I think the expectation is, is that Talkman isn't an everyday starter. I, I think that sure. you take a look at the outfield. You, you probably put it, it seems like Andujar is going to play left field. Um, it seems like Brett is going to be in center uh, or Talkman in center. And, and then you've got Frazier as well in there as well, too. So you've still got your four outfielders. And uh, I'm trying to think the other kind of fillers uh, on the infield. You've got Tyro Estrada, um, Tyler Wade. Let's see, there's Mike Ford as well, too. So I agree, yes, those guys have already been brought up. So if, if the injuries hit them as much, too, and they have to go to guys beyond that, you know, that's drastic. But I already think that the depth is still there. It's just, I guess, if if in some case that depth gets lost, um, then I, I, I would see the concern. But I, I think that all those guys are still on the team that were the depth guys, and we brought some players back um, as well, too, from injuries. So... Um, I guess that's my only thought as, as I think that they still have the depth there to really preserve it. Oh, and Hicks was another guy. He's yes. Recovering from yeah. Tommy we haven't John. talked about Hicks. Uh, yet. We haven't talked about him. So I, you know, I get, I get what you're saying, but like, if you look at the infield, like, yes, you're, you're, you're talking about Stanton and judge, uh, as being an end as maybe being the injury flags guys who, you know, could conceivably get hurt and you wouldn't be surprised Gary Sanchez as well uh, but you know every year every team will lose somebody who you might not expect mm-hmm. to lose uh, you know if Glaber Torres or DJ uh, LeMayu gets how hit, dare you, know, you I think how, I know but that's that, yeah. that's just what happens I mean the Nationals right. lost Trey Turner in the third game of the season for two months mm-hmm. uh, to a broken finger on a freak injury and and that just that stuff just happens so that it's those cases where you know I think they've definitely built in you know okay if we lose Judge if we lose Stanton if we lose and do hard like it's not going to be the end of the world we have somebody who can fill in for them it's more you know it's when those injuries that you weren't accounting for if Garrett Cole goes down for God's sake or oh. uh, you know maybe bullpen probably isn't a great place to look because it's so deep but you know uh, if, if a couple of those guys you know start to go uh, deal with some injuries and you're testing the depth there like how good is the depth at AAA going to be mm-hmm. you know maybe the no. major league roster certainly is as good as any uh, but it's a question of whether you know at AAA do you have have guys who right. you know, on that 40-man roster can step up and play. And, you know, the Yankees have a good farm system. I think it's in the top 15. I believe Keith Law put them at 14 um, when he released his organizational rankings on Monday. But uh, overall, you know, as far as AAA talent, those guys that maybe aren't on prospect rankings, those are guys who have been in the majors before and uh, aren't, aren't considered prospects. That's where, you know, the Yankees – might not be as deep. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. And I, I look, no, I haven't no, I, dug deep, I dug deep into the Yankees 40 man roster. I'm just saying that it's yeah. it's something where after having done it last year, I think that it's something that you know you just want to keep an eye on. I'm not you know, like right. I said. I still think they're going to win the division. I think they're going to be just fine. They'll be healthy by the playoffs, and they're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. I just don't think that they're going to pull a Dodgers and just you know Demolish. by the end of May are just 20 games up in the rest of the division mm-hmm. and you know, are, are leaving everybody in the dust. No, yeah, I'd agree with that as well, too. I don't think it'll be just a, a blow-away season for them as well. And and like you said, the, the freak injuries are, are a really good point. I think we can all agree, uh, you know, Judge Stanton and Sanchez are, are injury concerns consistently. Of course, we can throw Severino in there, too, as now he's missing almost his second full season now. Um, but like you said, those freak injuries, I think of last year, the, the freak one was Miguel Andujar. Uh, that was just, he was... Um, mm-hmm. He was running back to third base to tag up 
uh, and he had to he slid forward and then had to get labrum surgery, I believe it was. Um, so that's that's one of those awkward injuries. So yeah, I, I agree. Those things can happen, like you're saying with Trey Turner as well too. Um, so so that's a that's a really good point. So it, it would be tough if to lose another one of those stars like a, a Glaber or a Garrett or Gary as well. And so, no, I agree. I, I, I agree it won't be a, a breeze for them like it will be for the Dodgers, but um, I think we both can agree that they'll still be able to pull out the AL East if if things can stay, uh, I'd say, at least 80% intact, you know. Yeah, I'm with you. And speaking of freak injury, let's switch gears a bit and talk about Tua Tagovailoa. Did I say that right? I always Tua, say that wrong. Tua Tagovailoa. I think you did. Tagovailoa. Yeah, Tua Tagovailoa. Okay. Tungavailoa. I That's always nice. get him and Giannis's last names wrong. I just can't do it. Yeah. Well. Um, <laughs> anyway, speaking of which, Tua, uh, the number two quarterback in this draft class, has been brought up a lot recently with the NFL Combine going on. He, of course, isn't there, but he was brought in for an interview by no, not the Dolphins, not the Lions, but the Redskins. The Redskins, who have the number two pick in the draft and were presumed to be taking Chase Young with new head coach Ron Rivera coming over from the Carolina Panthers, being a defensive guy. You figured Chase Young was going to be the guy that they'd be rolling with, especially considering they used their first round pick last year to draft Dwayne Haskins out of Ohio State. No, they are bringing in Tua and Joe Burrow just you know, for conversations, sit him down, talk about him uh, to see, you know, whether or not they might draft him. And that has sent ripples across the NFL. Could the Redskins really draft Tua at number two? Uh, but, Blake, this is reminiscent of the very first episode of the hmm, Reasonably yes. Outrageous podcast when you and I sat down and discussed what would happen if the Cardinals were to draft Kyler Murray uh, when they already had used their first-round pick the previous year on Josh Rosen. They, of course, also had a new head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, coming in, but he was offensive-minded, and you figured he wanted somebody who would fit his system. Now, what do you think is going on here, Blake? Do you think it was just, you know, a preliminary thing, no big deal? Or do you think really the Redskins might actually consider doing this? Um, I, I think it's it's more so just talk. I think maybe they're trying to see if they could be blown away by a trade offer if this gets circulated out there that, oh, maybe the Redskins are actually considering it. Maybe a team like the Dolphins or the Chargers would you know, give out this massive haul to trade up to number two, almost reminiscent of what the Redskins gave up to the Rams to get the number two pick to draft uh, RG3. What was that? Mm -hmm. Eight years ago now. Um, to me, it, it, it is reminiscent, of course. Obviously, it just happened last year of, of the Cardinals going with, okay, a new head coach. Uh, we want that head coach that is, uh, you know, a quarterback that is going to best fit that head coach's system. Um, Cliff Kingsbury, a very offensive-minded uh character with the air raid office in texas tech wanted a gunslinger a guy that was mobile a guy that can make magic and josh rosen isn't that he is a precision passer in the pocket kind of guy um and so cliff went out there found a guy that best fit his offense uh shipped josh rosen away and the rest was history for the panthers specifically or sorry the panthers i say the panthers because of ron rivera the redskins <laughs> rivera. yes the redskins ron is is a defensive kind of guy um so i don't really think that he typically would have the final say in what quarterback best fits his system. You would say he had Cam Newton for, you know, the last uh, decade or so now, and, and things went well. Things were up and down, of course, but he did have an MVP season with him. They made it to a Super Bowl. Um, I think that was a 15-1 and regular season for the Panthers. Um, 
I just, I don't, I don't buy it. I, I think they've got Dwayne as their guy. Now, he wasn't totally impressive. I think it was seven touchdowns, seven picks um, in his rookie season. But I think there's a lot of raw tools with Dwayne. And that was the biggest thing coming out of the draft for him is it was going to take time for Dwayne. He wasn't going to just throw go out there and be one of these day one ready quarterbacks. Um, and so I think that the Panthers should stay committed to Dwayne Haskins. Now, Tua definitely Panthers again dude, dude sorry Redskins. Redskins Ron Rivera's <laughs> throwing me for a loop uh he shouldn't he shouldn't have uh I guess he got fired never should have left I guess he got fired yeah. so he didn't have much of a Mid-season. choice yeah um anyway so to the Redskins uh I I agree Tua definitely has higher upside than Dwayne Haskins I don't think there's any bit to uh to deny with that if things go right but I think I think just for the sake of, of stability and building something concrete, you've got a quarterback in there that is young. You you spent a first-round pick on him as well, too. Um, and I think Tua, given the medical concerns, I know it came back great, but you worry a little bit about his frame. Um, and I don't think, you know, if it was the number one overall pick and it was Joe Burrow and the Redskins were picking at one, I'd say, hell yeah, let's, let's trade away Dwayne Haskins. Let's bring in Joe Burrow. I think he is far and away the best quarterback in this draft class. Tua, given the injuries, I'm like, okay, it's a little bit of a toss-up. Um, and, and I think the Redskins in the end will take the best player in the draft, Chase Young, keep Dwayne Haskins, and try and see uh, if they can build something with him in his second season. Yeah, I'm completely with you here. I think this is all smoke. Uh, I do Well, not necessarily all smoke. I feel like they actually brought him in with the idea of actually using him. Uh, or actually, you know, considering the idea of drafting him. But at the same time, you know, I think if the Redskins were in a position where there was a player like Joe Burrow, who was available at number two, who was completely healthy, like say Tua hadn't gotten hurt this season and was ready to go, rolling, he was, you know, all set, then, you know, at that point, maybe you consider it, like you said, if you were the number one pick, maybe you draft Joe Burrow. But at the same time, with Tua and where he is right now with the health concerns, you're not making a slam dunk pick. There are certainly upsides and downsides to doing so. And so to me, I just can't feel comfortable throwing a gamble like that when you've already used such big draft capital on the quarterback position the year prior. You've had Dwayne Haskins, who showed progress down the stretch. He struggled initially learning the playbook. Apparently, it was a lot for him. Being an NFL player, it it was all very overwhelming for a guy who only had 12 career starts above high school in his entire football career. I mean, you know, at that point, you know, you're basically throwing an 18-year-old into the fire. I mean, he was one of the younger players in the NFL, obviously not 18, but, you know, mentally, he wasn't necessarily at the maturity level. I don't want to say that to say that he is, you know, somebody who had, like, character issues or anything like that, but I would say that, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't ready to be an NFL quarterback at that point. He was still mentally getting to that point where he could handle that workload, handle the playbook, handle the maturity that comes with having to lead a, a locker room uh, with that many guys who have been in the league for forever. You know, For them to look at him as a leader, he was going to have to show some growth, and I don't think he was ready to do that in 2019, but he showed steps in that direction toward mm-hmm. 2020. You know, I think you could feel comfortable rolling the dice with him in 2020, and then if he doesn't work out go from there but overall like you said chase young best player in the draft i I don't think that there should be uh any question as to whether or not you should draft him i think honestly if if the redskins should consider doing anything is trade down see if they get a good prospect 
uh, pa- or pick package and maybe go from there because they have plenty of areas to concern. And edge rusher really wasn't the number one thing that you know was really a problem wow. for them last year. They had plenty of other concerns. Uh, you know, the secondary is an area where I think they could really use uh, some addressing. The offensive line uh, had some question marks, and you still don't know if you're going to get Trent Williams back. Uh, so there, are, there are plenty of other areas that they need to address. But I think that with Ron Rivera. You're looking at Chase Young. He's just licking his chops, man. He, mm-hmm. He's like, all right, just forgive me this guy. You know, that's all I need. I'm going to build a defense around him. And, you know, with with no number one necessarily dominant pass rusher, I mean, they have Ryan Kerrigan, but at the same time, they don't really have a true number one anymore, and they don't have a number one corner either. I think when you're building a defense, th- those are the two areas that you need to address first uh, and build from there. And they have a young guy in Quentin Dunbar who's trying to get his contract renegotiated as a number one corner. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I don't think he's reached that level yet. He kind of needs to put in a little bit more work and you know show some more progress before he starts doing that. But you have a young guy who you think, okay, maybe he can be a future number one corner. You don't have a young guy who you think, okay, he can be a future number one pass rusher. Here's Chase Young. Let's go. The defense you know, can be the, the anchor of this, this team while Dwayne Haskins and Terry McLaurin uh, and, oh gosh, why am I, Darius Geis, uh, mm-hmm. you know, come into their own as a young trio uh, on the offensive side. Yeah, I agree. And look, if things go wrong, like you were saying, this team I don't think is one that's ready to take the next step next season um, because I think sure. Dwayne is still so raw. I don't think this is a team that can make a massive jump uh, in win projection. In win projection, so if it goes bad, you're going to end yourself back up at the top of this draft next year. And oh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are available at the top two picks. I, I think that that is um, far more. Uh, admirable than this year's draft class. Of course, there's an entire year to go until then. Um, Both will still have to declare if they don't want to play their senior seasons out, of course, as well uh, there too. But I think give it a go. If Dwayne doesn't show progressions in year two, then okay, maybe this isn't going to be that developmental guy that takes time. Maybe Maybe it's just this raw prospect that doesn't have the right tools to fit it in there. So I think that Going forward next season, getting the best player in this draft in in Chase Young, um, of course, you know, you would say there needs probably more fit to a guy like Jeff Okuda at at corner, but when a guy is is far and away as good as Chase Young is, you got to take him um, if he's available. And so if you go through the season, yeah, talk you get the, about one of the most riskiest picks ever. If you were to draft Okuda over Chase Young just right. because of need, you know, you are possibly giving yourself uh, the designations for one of the worst drafts. Yeah. Know, flops of all time. Right. And hey, Okuda, Okuda is going to be a stud, man. I, I'm not, I, I know sure. that we're yeah. saying Chase Young is far and away. We're, we both agree Chase Young is far better. Um, Okuda's a baller. And definitely, yeah, this is a draft class deep with corners, too. Like the fact that he's number one is is very significant, right? Right, so yeah, so taking taking Chase Young here is the best move forward, adding in maybe some other key offensive players. They still got to figure out what's going on on the offensive line, they've got to uh, franchise tag. Uh, how do you say his last name? Uh, Brandon Scherf, Brandon Scherf, they've got to. Um, and then it also seems like a Trent Williams trade may still be on the table, as I think you had mentioned earlier. So got to figure out some stuff there as well, too. Darius Geis has to come back, be healthy, but, you know, complemented by AP as well, too. That's a pretty good duo. Get the offensive playmakers in there in touch with Dwayne Haskins. If it doesn't work, you've got some great options at the quarterback position next year. Yeah, and there's also the part where, 
uh, ownership, Dan Snyder, he loves Dwayne Haskins. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he would go down to Haskins, you know, in the locker room right after the game to tell him good job. Uh, there was one point where, you know, he had a, a scary leg injury and he was carted off the field. And uh, after 15 minutes, he was up on his feet and saying, oh, I want to go back in the game. And Snyder came down himself and said, no, no, you're sitting. Uh, you're not doing this. Like, there's no point in, in trying to, to go back in that game. So uh, the, with the Redskins, you know, they've they've already attached themselves to Haskins for better or for worse. And at this point, I don't think that, you know, with with Rosen in the Cardinals, you know, I, I was I was for them sticking with Rosen. Uh, and I'm, you know, obviously Kyler won Rookie of the Year, even though I really thought that award should have gone to A.J. Brown or Josh Jacobs over Kyler. But he was just a quarterback, so he got it. Uh, but he was he was pretty good, uh, you know, for, for a rookie. Uh, had, had a good year, and especially with his legs, was really adding an element that, like you mentioned, Cliff Kingsbury really wanted uh, in that offense, and that was something that Josh Rosen couldn't give him. But uh, with, with that, uh, you know, Rosen, I don't think he showed the flashes that Haskins has, has shown this year. I mean, Haskins really early on struggled. I mean, his first game, he had 17 pass attempts and three interceptions. I mean, it, and it was like less than 100 passing yards or something like that. I mean, it was just downright, you know, uncomfortable. You could tell right away he had no idea what he was doing mm-hmm. uh, and just being thrust into an environment that he probably wasn't ready for. I mean, some people were saying that he shouldn't have played all of last year and, oh, yeah. you know, if it weren't for the, the Case Keenum injury uh, and them really just not being willing to play Colt McCoy, uh, you know, he probably wouldn't have. But uh, overall, you know, with with Haskins, uh, you, you just kind of have to wait and see at this point. Uh, he did show flashes. He had some really good games down the stretch. Him and Terry McLaurin, who had, uh, you know, a relationship in college, they played together there. They've already developed, you know, a pretty strong duo where you might feel like you're comfortable rolling with them for the next decade if, if they really evolve to what their potential is. Uh, and if Darius guys can stay healthy, that's a, that's a great young trio that you're building around in that offense. And if you can anchor it with guys like Scherf uh, and Trent Williams, if you can bring him back on a restructured contract, you know, that offensive line starts look a little bit more whole you know you have an offense that you you might feel a little bit more comfortable uh you know rolling out you know over the next couple of years as a serious contender in the nfc east it's not like anybody else in the that division right now is you know standing leagues above anybody else and, and building a dynasty everybody is kind of a big question mark right now so uh you know with, with the position that the redskins are in i just don't think that they you know need to take that big of a gamble, go after Tua. Chase mm-hmm. Young is a safe play. So uh, I say, you know, roll with Chase Young and, you know, see what you can do with those picks behind him. Exactly. And, and just comparing it again to, like we were saying, how this teed it up with, with the Rosen situation with Cliff. And that that was a NFL head coach's first job. It was his. It was a job yeah. that people were really not sure why he got it. Um, but obviously, I mean, it worked. Kyler, Kyler Murray, dude, he is going to be a top quarterback in this league. He was he was unbelievable last season. I know, you know, uh, there were tremendous performances by Josh Jacobs and AJ Brown. But Kyler Murray, his accuracy, his his arm, um, his mobility, he he's going to be a great quarterback. But I think comparing Cliff to Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera is not in a situation where if this doesn't go well in year one, there's going to be a lot of flack for, well, why'd they bring this guy in? No, he's got the resume. He brought a team to a Super Bowl. He's been successful in Carolina. So I don't think there's... And also, real quick, like, 
even if things go terribly wrong and he's fired in two to three years, he could still get another job in the NFL because so many yeah. other teams would just write it up as, oh, he was with the Redskins, like they're right. a competent franchise. You know, uh, there's no you know reason that to think that he can't return to the heights that he had with Carolina. So like. You know, with King, with Kingsbury, if you flop in your first job, it can be really tough to get a second one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very important for him to do well right away. Exactly, and to get the guy that would best fit his system. So I, I yeah. think I think the the thing is, if the Redskins are able to make that jump and go right ahead next year, perfect. But patience will be key for this if they're going to build out something nice in Washington. That's right. All right, speaking of building something nice, I'm on fire with the transition. The transition, today. The Boston King. Celtics. I know, dude. I know. Uh, the Boston Celtics have been building a contender for the past however long uh, since they made that massive trade uh, with the Brooklyn Nets and, and basically stole all of their draft picks for the next half decade. Uh, they're still reaping the benefits of that. Uh, and wow, I didn't even realize today is Jason Tatum's birthday. Um, oh, happy, birthday. happy birthday, Jason Tatum. We're talking about you on your birthday. He also found out today that he was the NBA Player of the Month uh, for the month of February after averaging over 30 points per game the entire month. Blake, Kemba Walker was the big acquisition for this team, and I don't know if anyone necessarily thought he would be the number one star, but having to fill the shoes of Kyrie Irving, Irving, even with you know the team not doing well, uh, at least in the locker room uh, and deep in the playoffs with Kyrie, uh, you know that was semi big shoes to fill for Kemba, uh, and he's done pretty well in his own right. He was an All Star this year, but Jason Tatum has really taken a leap forward uh, mm-hmm. as a go to scorer on this team, and I feel like he's leapfrogged everybody else on the roster to be the guy in Boston oh, yeah. now. Blake, I want to turn this question to you. If that is true, if, if Jason Tatum is the guy for the Celtics and he's going to be the one leading them into the playoffs this year, do you believe he has reached superstar status? And let me clarify that. By superstar yeah. status, I mean capable of leading your team deep in the postseason because we've seen you know, plenty of stars who, like Kyrie, you know, can't be that number one guy and you know, mm-hmm. they kind of need a, a second star to pair up with in order to do it. We're in an era of the NBA where a lot of teams have multiple stars uh, where they've all kind of teamed up together, but the Celtics, you know, you could say that Kemba and, J- and Tatum are, you know, one and two, but Tatum is the clear-cut number one. He's the star, but Blake, yeah. is he at that at that status as of now? So, have you for, before we go into that, have you heard the connected beard theory? This is my favorite one out I there right not. now. So, Hit Jason me. Tatum had a patchy beard for the first two and a half years of his NBA career. It just didn't connect at all the places. Um, and I think over the last 25 or so games, it's been fully connected. He, I don't know if it's just maybe a grooming thing that he switched up, but the connected beard theory, he's been on a tear. He's been shooting 52% <laughs> from three, uh, and the numbers are are unbelievable, uh, you know, the last few months. Of course, this past month winning player of the month uh, for the Eastern Conference. Jason Tatum is capable of taking the Boston Celtics to an Eastern Conference Finals berth. If the, if the Milwaukee Bucks are the other team there, I think it ends there. But beyond that, if Milwaukee comes up short in, say, round two like they did last year, uh, Jason Tatum is more than capable of taking this team to an NBA Finals. Winning a championship? Probably not. I still give that to one of the L.A. teams over in the Western Conference. Um, but Jason Tatum is a ball. Dude, he's he just turned 22. He's, he's yeah. younger than us. 
He's younger <laughs> than both of us, and he's balling out. He he is a. I, I am pretty confident to say he is approaching superstar potential. Now, of course, it's been a two-month stretch, and you take a look at the year in total. He's at two, 24.5 points per game. He's shooting 45% from the field and 39% from three, which is tremendous. Um, actually, just taking a look back at it, his rookie season, he shot 43.4% from three, so that's crazy. But then you take a look at the other numbers. Total rebounds is up to 7.4. Assists is up to three. Steals up. Blocks up. Um, fouls down. He's almost improved every asset of his game uh, in, in his third season. Um, I fully believe that Jason Tatum has brought the Celtics uh, in, in the last few months to a legit number two kind of threat in the Eastern Conference. I know there's a, a jumbled mess there with with the Toronto Raptors who have been dealing with injuries, so the losses have been piling on. Miami Heat have been struggling. Indiana trying to figure it out. 76ers I'm not all about, to be honest with you. So I think Boston has emerged as that number two team in the Eastern Conference, uh, much in part to Jason Tatum's play. And as long as Giannis doesn't stand in their way on the path through the Eastern Conference, I think they can make the finals with Jason Tatum leading the way. Yeah, just as an aside, I still believe that the Raptors are the number two team in the conference. They, Mm -hmm. Like you said, they're dealing with a lot of injuries right now. So uh, I I would say by the time the playoffs comes around, if everybody's healthy, then I'm fairly confident in them to be able to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'll tell you what, Eastern Conference semis between the Raptors and the Celtics would be be so much fun. That that series right there, if that's how it shakes out, uh, you know, like Bucks Heat is probably how we would go the other way. And uh, I don't feel comfortable with the Heat picking the Heat over the Bucks in any capacity there. Uh, but I do think that it would it would be close uh, between the Celtics I, I and, and the Raptors. I, I've kind of been sleeping on the Celtics this year up until you know this past month with Tatum, uh, just because they haven't really been able to get over that hump to really have. Uh, that in- incredible season, you know, make a finals appearance, all that kind of stuff. You know, we've seen them do it with different cores. You know, we had the Kyrie years and we had the Isaiah Thomas year uh, when they they made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and lost to LeBron there. Uh, but they haven't gotten back since. And, you know, I-, I feel like this team now, it just seems like a team that enjoys playing basketball more. They're gritty. Uh, and, and with a young guy like Jason Tatum leading the way, it just it feels more like the Celtics. You know, uh, you know, they, they bringing in Kyrie uh, as a guy who, you know, won a championship somewhere else and ha- asking him to lead the way that just didn't feel like the Boston, you know, mentality, the type of Boston Celtics team uh, that we've seen time and time again over the decades. Uh, this this Jason Tatum, you know, start to his career, like you said, he's only 22. Uh, even if he doesn't lead them, you know, super deep into the playoffs this year. I've really gotten on the train of that he is one of the next, uh, you know, NBA superstars. I feel Mm -hmm. like he's a lock to be an all NBA player as of right now, um, which is also pretty crazy uh, considering, you know, the, the stars that we have in this league right now. But with the way he's been playing and with, with the success that Boston's had so far this year uh, and him really taking on, you know, the share of that offensive load and especially just going off in February, uh, it's it's been a lot of fun to watch, and I feel like the future uh, of the Celtics is in his hands. I mean, you know, they were kind of trying to find this guy for the last couple of years with all these mm-hmm. draft picks that they've had. Uh, this this guy that they were to 
pick and develop and you know make him the future face of the franchise. They found him. It's Jason Tatum, uh, and you know he is going to be in Boston for a long time if they have their way. So uh, yeah. I feel like this year, as far as just this season goes. I do think that the Bucks are the best team in the East. There's no doubt about it to me. I mm-hmm. feel like they're inevitably going to make it to the finals. I don't see the Celtics beating them, but I do see that being a fun series, uh, them making it very deep in the playoffs and Tatum you know, being at the forefront of that. Yeah, of course. You know, The one concern with Boston is the depth, um, and that's where I, I agree. I would still give Toronto, I guess, the edge when fully healthy. They have to get to that point first. Um, but Toronto has one of the deepest teams in the NBA. Their their bench is unbelievable. Um, we we talked the about them the other week, um, and, and so yeah, the Clippers as well too. A, a nice bench there as well. But they just um, dropped seventy from their bench like last night. It was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> remarkable. Uh, yeah, well they've got. Well they also brought in some guys recently too. They brought in Reggie Jackson on a buyout as well too. There's. It's buyout season, so we've got a lot of guys jumping teams just before the postseason starts. But um, back to Boston, the big concern is the lack of of depth. So of course, um, you know, probably falls a little bit shorter. Um, I think of you know you got guys like Brad Wanamaker playing key minutes as the backup point guard. You know, if Kemba's out, he's getting starter minutes. That's not your ideal starting point guard. Uh, Ennis Cantor sometimes is just unplayable if you want any defense out there um, he's just an offensive guy up in that front court so I, I'm not in love with Boston's depth um, I do think that if they're going to make this run it's going to be through Jason Tatum as their number one scorer um, you also have to mention that Gordon Hayward was starting off the season great broke his hand and has kind of been up and down since and now is on a little bit of a downtrend too so um, I definitely agree that it's it's going to take a lot for Boston to to make it to a finals but let me ask you this, because I heard of this conversation. I want to hear your thoughts on it, too. Um, aside from the Milwaukee Bucks, is Jason Tatum the best player on the court against any other team in the Eastern Conference playoffs right now? So of the seven teams, is he the, is he the aside from Milwaukee and aside from the Celtics, the six other playoff teams, is he the best player out of all those teams? Uh, let me think here. I mean... I might say Embiid. Um, mm-hmm. I do think Embiid's kind of overrated, but I do think he's still yep. one of the best centers in the NBA. Um, man, that's a tough question. Butler's yeah, another guy you have, have to throw to. in there. Obviously, he gets some, but I, I think with with the way they're playing right now, and this is just my thought. I, you know, I, I guess I'm answering before I let you answer. I, I think Tatum. Um, you know, aside from playing Milwaukee, would be the best player on the court in any of those games. I mean, he's been. Unbelievable. He's also playing defense, which is great. We don't see that in the regular season. Um, I, I've I've loved watching the Celtics the last few months. So I'd have to I'd have to say I lean into. I think he's the second best player in the Eastern Conference playoff picture right now. Well, let me turn this around on you. Would you put Jason Tatum's second team All NBA or third? I'm, I'm assuming it wouldn't be first, but uh, do you right. think he cracks first. the second team or third team? Well, so what value are we going to give to these guys that do the load management? Because we've got guys like Kawhi and Paul George um, who are some of the best forwards in the game, but how do you give them credit if they're playing you know, 50-some games as opposed to Tatum playing almost all of the games? Um, so well, you have to Kawhi consider- has gotten – Kawhi's already played 47 games. Um, oh, okay, Tatum's gotcha. Played, so. Tatum's well, we've played got, 55. We've so got, it's, what, it's a month left of there. basketball? 
So I guess Kawhi yeah. hasn't well, been Tatum's doing only a played fifty five. He's only he's only eight ahead. Of, oh, okay, of, uh, gotcha. Of Kawhi, so I wouldn't. You know, if you play mm. seventy games in the NBA season, I don't think that should be held against you. It's no. when you start okay. getting in the sixties and right. lower. I think yeah. that's kind of where you know um, that that might, I might hold that against you a little bit and, and knock you down a peg. Mm-hmm. All right. So if I'm thinking about this, I'm doing probably then I'd put Kawhi and LeBron as the first team forwards. Um, yes. And so AD is the center. Yeah. You put AD is, him as a center. Oh wait, no. I would have to put Kawhi down to the second team. I apologize. It'd have to be LeBron and Giannis at the first team. Uh, AD oh, yeah, is the center yeah. there. Um, and then I would mm. put. I'd probably put Kawhi and Jason Tatum as the second team. I'm not sure what other forwards, and I'm probably forgetting a, a great one. But just in terms of performances this season, I know Jimmy Butler might get a third team in there as well too. Is Luca technically a small forward? No, no, he'd be a or guard. Is he a two? He'd, he'd be a guard. He's a guard. Yeah. Okay. So I think, um, yeah, I think you'd have to. I think you'd have to put him in there as the second team. Siakam. Uh, he, I guess you could. Yeah, he's a power forward center type. I think you could put him on the second team center. Um, I, I wouldn't be mad about that. Um, or well, you're you're also forgetting about um, um, Jokic too. He's probably second team center if you ask hmm. me. <laughs> so then you're coming down I, I to would say Siakam I, versus uh, Tatum. Right, I, I would That's give the edge. I, I'd give the edge to Tatum right now, um, and, and I, trust me, you know how much I love the Raptors. You know how much I love Siakam, uh, but I really think mm-hmm. Jason Tatum is right now is playing at a level where he's the second best player. Um, like I said, that's in the playoffs. I, I don't want to discredit. I know you you have a lot of love out there for Bradley Beal. Poor poor Bradley Beal. I think we were talking about him the other day. He reminds me of kind of what Melo went through on those awful Knicks seasons, where it's just like putting well, up thirty points. The games. big They're debate. The big debate right now, speaking of all NBA, is will Bradley Beal make the third team All NBA team? Um, I hope, despite not having been an All Star, because if, if you think about it, you've got uh, mm. in the Eastern Conference what you've got Kemba up there. Um, gosh, I really wish I had a list of players in front of me. I'm gonna. I'd give it to Beal over Kemba. Guards, but I'd give it to um, Beal over Kemba. But I, I do feel like. Beal has got to be, you know, if we're talking top six guards I, in the Eastern Conference, Beal's got to be in that top six, right? Yeah, like, yeah, he, he's got to be. No question. Uh, he he definitely should. I mean, be. not East, but the 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 league. Sorry, I think he should. Oh man, that's tough. He's really the, the you reason. Have Hard, you have Harden, you have Westbrook. Uh, uh, those are two right there that are probably yeah. going to be in the mix. Um, you know, you have Damian Luka, Lillard, uh, Luca, Dame. Luka, Oh, what other uh, point guards are we forgetting? There's a bunch of great point guards in the league. I don't know how our our brains are frozen right here. It's because we don't have internet, dude. We're handicapped. I know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're baseball and football people trying to talk basketball. It's it's rough. What point guards are we forgetting, man? People are screaming right now. Bennett is screaming. I can't even. Bennett's screaming. I can't even pull up. My internet's not working on my phone, so I can't even pull up uh, the standing gun there to see. So list of NBA teams. Here we go. Do you give Do you give Um, Ja any love? Not, not, not yet. Not over Beal. I don't think that. Not over Beal. Um, Oh, I got a list here of of teams. Let's take a look. Um, Trey Young. (laughs) I mean, well, um, well, the thing is, he made the all-star team as a starter, and his yeah. numbers have stayed consistent since then. But is he all-NBA, though? But also, the, the all-star game sucks. Like It does, it does. The, I oh, agree. oh, here's an intriguing one. Chris Paul, he's had a, a very good season. Oh, uh, um, yeah, he, he has. 
Donovan Mitchell had a is, ha, is having a Mitchell. great season. I love Donovan Mitchell. Devin Malcolm Booker Brogdon? is well in there. Malcolm Devin Booker, yeah. No, I, Malcolm Brogdon, no. Um, I think I think we've hit all the ones. I'm looking at the list of NBA teams. I think those are all the guards. But I, I feel like Beal's got to be in that top six. If, if all those you guys would, be listed, like you, you would, would assume, right? You would hope, especially Beal's never been because, named to an All NBA team before. Yeah, I think I think the Isn't problem is is. Uh, like we saw how these teams went in the All Star selection, where where Trey Young made it in over Bradley Beal, which first off I think was ridiculous. Both are on very on awful teams. I think um, you, you take a look at turnovers and stuff like that. Trey Young has a lot of stats that aren't great, um, but Beal I think maybe since the All Star break, since he's turned it up such a notch. Um, and has been putting out uh, what were his averages over the last month? I'm not sure. You would probably have that or somewhere around then. Well, um, Beal dropped back to back 50 point games last right. week, uh, he's up, and still he's still wasn't named uh, Eastern Conference Player of the Week. <laughs> like what? Yeah. Um, so let me think. I mean, he's second. Giannis, but... He's the second leading scorer in the NBA right now. Yeah. If he can carry it through the rest of the regular season, I think he's got to sneak in as that third team. But it, 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 like you said, it'll be a damn shame if he finishes this season up not an All Star, not an All NBA team. I yeah, and, and the thing with Beal, I know we were supposed to be talking about yeah. Jason, <laughs> yeah. but like <laughs> um, the thing with Beal to me is just like with him having been the number one guy in this offense, like he's now a quasi point guard slash shooting guard. Like he. But when John Wall was running the show and, and driving the lane, kicking it out, I mean, Beal was just getting open, spotting up. You know, mm-hmm. now we're, we're we're seeing him work off the ball, but we're also seeing him, you know, really drive into the lane, you know, earn the respect of the refs to be able to go to the free throw line and, and add value there. Uh, you know, he's obviously a fantastic three point shooter. Is is three-point percentage is actually a little bit down this year, but his pure volume uh, has just been you know, going up so consistently because there's so few options in that Washington offense that just make you feel comfortable. So Beal you know, handles a lion's share of the load where uh, you know, if he just feels like it, he'll drop 50 because you know, he can and, and nobody else is going to really stop him. So right. uh, you know, it, it's, it just sucks that like, if, if it really comes down to it and people – start looking at win totals and determine all NBA squads that way, I'm just going to be real upset because that mm-hmm. just is not how it should be. Beal is, is stuck on a bad team. I wouldn't say stuck because he, he chose to be right. in Washington. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's on a bad team. That's not necessarily his fault. I don't think it should be held against him for the all NBA stuff. But going back to Tatum, you know, I, I think, I think Siakam, I, I would have to put Siakam over him uh, mm. right now. Uh, put Tatum on the third team, but I mean, like we're talking top fifteen players in the NBA. Uh, you know, I, I still think Tatum is up there. I just, I would give the slight edge to Siakam with with how well you know before all these injuries happen. You know, the Raptors. You know, I think they're still third best record in the East. I mean, they were the second best record in the East behind the the Bucks, and we were talking about how they were having all the success, and Siakam was behind it there, and he was, you know, you know, like Tatum stepping up this year and really being that lead guy might win back to back Most Improved Player of the Year awards, uh, which would be absolutely insane. So, right. um, I'm gonna, I would give it to Siakam right now, but mm. I do think that it's it's a good conversation. You know, I think Tatum is. is right there. Right, you take a look at their numbers. Uh, Tatum's averaging an extra point per game, so it's pretty close there. Uh, Pascal, obviously. Actually, you know, despite Pascal being more of a big man, they're averaging the same rebounds per game. 
Um, but Siakam actually has more assists per game too, so you take that into account. Um, taking a look at shooting percentages, uh, Jason Tatum has a three-point um, percentage. Uh, that uh, He's three percentage points higher uh, from three. Um, from the field, it is both 45%. So, yeah, it, it is It is pretty close between the two of them. Um, I agree. You know, trust me, I love Siakam. If he could get most improved player again, then that probably elevates him to that second team. Um, so I, I guess it just depends how Tatum finishes out the rest of the season. You know, he's been averaging, you know, over 30 this past month. If he can continue that stretch, his points per game average will maybe bump up to, to even 27 by the end of the year, maybe 28. If he can get up in that range, maybe I'll give it to him over Siakam. But I agree, it's definitely going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're, we're coming down the final stretch here. And I find it very interesting that this NBA season, the ratings are down to like a, a five-year yeah. low or something like that, despite the fact that we had the most eventful offseason that we've had in recent mm-hmm. memory. And we go into the year with all these expectations, with all these big market teams being in prime position. I mean, we talk about the Lakers and Celtics being two of the most storied franchises in NBA history. They're, you know, very, very good. The the Houston Rockets being in a major market, they're very, very good. Uh, you know, Miami is right at the top of the fold. Denver is a big market. I mean, literally, yeah. like we have th- th- everything that is leading up to now suggests that the NBA should be thriving, and it's not, at least as far as ratings go. And I find that re- extremely interesting. I mean, being in a market where the the Wizards are just kind of, you know, being uh, their ratings are way down, and hey, there's no surprise as to why they just literally aren't competitive uh, mm-hmm. you know last year the wizards were expected to contend entering the year uh this year you know they knew they weren't going to be i mean the wizards are trying to make a playoff push but you know that's that's not going to happen so right. I, I think fans have already come to terms with the fact that they're not going to be making the playoffs and they just completely tuned out so uh in, in washington it makes sense but overall in the nba just i thought that we would be having you know a ratings boom this year i thought that yeah. we'd be continuing to see you know payrolls go up next year and uh you know the league basking and the success of these two-star uh, teams that are going to create for an extremely fun postseason. And sure, maybe the maybe everybody tunes in for the playoffs and they have you know crazy records broken uh, in the playoffs of people tuning in to watch those series because they're a little more entertaining than in years past. But uh, you know, just overall, it, it kind of took me by surprise. It is definitely surprising, and I think the only thing that I can think of that obviously I think had a huge impact on the ratings is the Golden State effect, not just losing Kevin Durant, but missing Klay Thompson and Steph Curry up until this point. I know Steph is is making a return shortly. Um, Golden State really became the the fastest-growing fan base in the NBA, so all the fans were tuning in to the magical show that they were for the last um, you know, three, four years. So then you take a massive fallout there with them and how they become quickly one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, I think the interest there drops dramatically, which probably hurts their viewership as well, too. So that's a big one. But like you said, I mean, you, you got teams Miami, huge market. They're finally, you know, up and coming as well, too. The big ones like Boston and L.A., the Clippers being big. I mean, there are so many great teams. Dallas is a huge market with Luka and Porzingis. Um, it, it is very uh, intriguing um, or peculiar why the ratings are down this year. I, I don't get it. I've been watching a bunch of basketball since football season ended, so I apologize for coming late to the party. But I'm here. I'm, I'm giving them the views. Um, so hopefully hopefully they can kind of curve up as we get closer toward the postseason and, 
and um, and save face a little bit. I've actually been watching college this year more than I have been the NBA. I don't think it's you know uh, because mentally I'm like you know screw the NBA. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to watch it. It's just been more. Um, you know, the, the no number one team has been able to hold on to that top spot. It's been a very fun year in college basketball. Uh, and Maryland, who is one of the teams I helped cover, has been very good this okay. year. You know, one of the top 15 just lost teams today. in the country. So just did got they upset. Lose today? Oh, I saw they were playing Rutgers, right? Yep, upset by Rutgers. Jeez, well, you know, maybe maybe they're not so good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> falling out of the playoff picture. But UVA just jumped in the top 25 after they being did. Duke last week and somebody else, too, who I forget. So, um, yeah, that's uh, college basketball season is, <laughs> uh, you know, it's March. So it's we're nearing uh, the, the important, you know, all-important tournament. So I'm, I'm very, very excited. Mm-hmm. Um, you hope maybe we can get Bennett on here and uh, talk to some Ooh, UVA yeah. and some college basketball. He's already he's fun. already agreed. I actually haven't talked to you about that, but uh, um, I've already maybe, agreed maybe to a it selection, too. <laughs> selection Sunday show. Oh, that would I'm be thinking, fun. I'm thinking that. Um, I would so, like that. Yeah, let's let's do it. Um, all right. Well, that's a Ooh. really rough transition. After all my smooth transitions, I, I just totally botched that one. Hey, before we before we do our normal sign off, I want to congratulate because I know he listens. Tim Duncan, first win as an NBA head coach today. <laughs> Loyal listener, Loyal listener Tim Duncan, Tim in place for Greg Popovich as he was away. Uh, Tim, Dun- Tim Duncan picked up his first W, so that was pretty cool to see. Um, I saw pictures of him, you know, being the lead guy on the sidelines. So, so pretty cool, pretty cool to see Tim Duncan after all his years as a Spur, as a player, uh, get his first win as a head coach. Yeah, I was talking about this earlier, like. It would be so funny to just see Tim Duncan screaming at his players, like trying to get him hyped right. up, yeah. <laughs> like in a late moment. Like I couldn't imagine that. Right. Uh, my buddy turned to me. He was like, "You know, that's true, but also like Tim Duncan in the Spurs organization when he speaks, everybody listens. He doesn't right. even need to. It's almost his like voice. like he could just yeah. Yeah, he's the player version of Greg Popovich. Popovich can get loud, but he doesn't yeah. need to be. Popovich speaks, they listen. Mm-hmm. Duncan has kind of earned that respect as well too, which is pretty cool. Yeah. All right, well, that's going to do it for our show today. Don't forget to rate uh, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We should be there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick, where you'll find stuff about the Nationals and other D.C. and Maryland sports. Blake is at Blake Andrew Pace, where he'll write about Syracuse and the Indianapolis Colts for SB Nation. Blake, any final words for the good people? No, thanks so much for coming back in. Glad we're. I know we both had some hectic weeks last week, and um, and all that said, but we'll be back here again. And like we said, moving through college basketball season, getting into NBA playoffs. I'm I'm very excited. Very excited. I feel like I always have the same last message when you ask me if I have anything left to say. Just that I'm excited to keep <laughs> doing this podcast. So um, I'm just keeping it, keeping it, uh, keeping it the same as always. Well, I really like my final words for the good people tagline. I'm trying to make that a thing. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, I'm just next time, have to deal with it. Next time, <laughs> next time you ask me, I'm going to say I don't have anything left to say to these guys. To say um, these aren't good no, people. No, no, I'm good. <laughs> all right. Well, for Blake Pace, I'm Matt Wyrick. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.